Hello, friends. Welcome to Girl Empowered, a podcast with Ophelia's Place designed to inspire, educate, and empower you and the girls in your life. I'm your host, River Allen. This is part two of a conversation about dieting, eating disorders, new year, new you, some of that stuff that seems to come up every year and brings with it a lot of baggage, a lot of problematic messaging, especially for young people and for young women. So I'm really excited to welcome back Yuki Roberts, my dear colleague and friend, um, as we kind of jump into part two. Thank you for having me yet again. I love being here. (laughs) So uh, we just want to start off by letting folks know that February 21st through 27th is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week which is basically an opportunity to learn more and bring awareness and shine light onto the particular issue of eating disorders, which are considered the, or I think statistically demonstrate, are the most deadly mental health diagnosis. So they are a significant issue. And again, and as I said, they disproportionately affect girls and women. We are seeing some of those data start to change, but that remains true. So yeah, we just felt like it's a good place to talk a little bit about what the connection between dieting and disordered eating is, and also media representation and some prevention efforts that we all can take to try to, you know, head some of these things off before they become a problem. You can't, maybe I'll just pitch it over to you because I know you do a lot of this discussion with young people, but also with parents and educators, really making that connection and that link between diet culture and, and dieting as a practice and eating disorders. And I, I, I'll say out there for our listeners, like people engage in different ways to eat for lots of different reasons. And we, we do honor that. We also recognize that there's a difference between something that's maybe guided by someone's doctor um, for health promoting reasons and our larger societal obsession with dieting and thinness. So I'm just going to put that out as a caveat and then pitch it over to you. Yeah, definitely. So the first thing that comes to mind is, and this is actually right in line with what we've been talking about in our girls group. Actually, last week, we were doing our gender box activity and just having so many conversations around the overwhelming pressure that young people feel, girls in particular, feel already to be in competition with other girls. And I think when you see certain things modeled for you over and over again, and this comparison thing starts happening where it's, I wish I was that, right? I wish my hair looked that way. I wish I had clothes that look like that. I mean, diet culture contributes to the ways in which girls compare bodies, right? I wish my body looked like that body, right? Or when just the messaging overall from our culture is constantly telling young people, right? You should be thin above all else. There are constant tips, tips and tricks in quotes, right? Given freely and and openly around how to lose weight that does not take into account so many varying things with people's bodies and different bodies that it just makes it easier to feel bad about your body. There isn't a lot of great representation of women who enjoy their bodies or feel proud of their bodies. So when you look at that kind of systemically, but then you look on an individual level, the way that girls are really taught to compare themselves to other girls, especially around food, right? What foods are you eating? What foods should you not be eating? Again, in quotes, 
the pressure is just overwhelming and it's constant. So then you think about parents and a lot of the work that I do with educators and parents, there is so much anxiety and fear around missing something that your daughter is maybe having some disordered eating behaviors or is developing an eating disorder and you're not catching that and you're not able to intervene in the way that maybe you would like to. I think there's also so much shame around food and bodies that a lot of these behaviors can also really happen in private. And so it can be harder to detect as, as parents. I also think there is this piece too, that is especially problematic where having challenges around body and food is just really normalized and almost expected. Yeah. And we've, we've talked about how, um, there's a really powerful statement I learned from an organization called Be Nourished in Portland. They said something about how dieting has become the American girl's rite of passage. Yes. And, and the way that landed on me was like so incredibly heavy and sad, but also it felt very true. Yes. That really hits home for me. In my experience, I can absolutely relate to that. Um, I really appreciate you saying at the beginning, right, that like dieting does not then equal eating disorders. And when that is literally the air you breathe and the water you swim in, where everything around you is telling you that your body is wrong, you have too many stretch marks, or you're too tall, or you're too short, or you have too much weight, or not enough weight on your body, right? You're too muscular, you're not muscular enough. Obviously, that is going to make you feel bad about yourself when there are then almost seemingly no positive messages to counteract any of that, or there's so few positive options available that there's nothing to disrupt kind of that cycle. And so it's really tough to navigate for young people. And as we know, eating disorders are not just some vain thing, right? It has to do with control. And so when you feel so out of control and even your body feels so out of control at times, especially during adolescence, when your body is already changing so much and just, it can become very unfamiliar. And so eating disorders can be one of those things that can make you feel more in control of a situation that feels uncontrollable. Yeah. I I love that you said that. I was thinking the same thing, like for people who don't know, a, a lot of the issue around eating disorders is that behavioral, that mental health aspect of feeling that you exist in a chaotic world or where you have little control, that the control of your body and what you put in your body can feel like a place to regain that sense. And it's, it's really hard because we do talk about in terms of coping with big things in the world, thinking about what we call the locus of control, meaning yourself. But what we mean a lot of times when we're saying that is like your ability to regulate, right? Your ability to emotionally regulate, care for yourself, seek out what you need and get it in a healthy way. But you can see how sort of the, the problematic side that, that a young person could, could very naturally go to is this idea of, well, I will control my body. I will control what I put in my body. I will. And then, as you said, that doesn't exist in a vacuum. That's existing within that air we breathe, water we swim in. I've been thinking a little bit. I, I follow Tess Holiday on social media, who is what might be considered possibly the, the first plus size supermodel. There have been other plus size models that have been celebrated at different times, but first of all, she's uh, genuinely plus. So what we would consider uh, a fat woman, not just sort of tall and a little curvy and been a very outspoken advocate of intersectionality of body acceptance. 
et cetera. And she recently in the last year let her, she's an influencer too. So she has a lot of people that follow her on social media. And she recently came out saying that she met the criteria and had a diagnosis of anorexia. And there, there's been a lot of kind of online buzz and pushback and conversation around that because common conception of anorexia in particular is of very like emaciated, very, very thin looking bodies. Yeah. And there's this idea that you can't be fat and have an eating disorder. Just like, I think, you know, sometimes people who are naturally very thin can get defensive and feel like people are always accusing them of having an eating disorder because they have thin bodies, which just brings us back to something you and I know, and we talk about a lot, which is really, you can't know someone's situation just by looking at the shape of their body, nor should you. But I, I'm just curious, like, I thought that was kind of a groundbreaking moment. And of course, I'm, I'm sad for her. This is a hard thing to be fighting with and herself and working to heal. But her willingness to be public about that, I thought spurred kind of an interesting conversation. Yeah. Love Tess Holiday. <laughs> I am one of her many followers. As am I. <laughs> um, and yes, I mean, the thing that she is the most vocal about is being a fat woman in this culture and what that means. And actually the thing that I was the most drawn to was her also being really transparent around all just like the hate that she was getting in response to that, which I think is an absolute testament of how deep our fat phobia is as a culture and also a testament to the ways that we think about what a right in quotes, what the right body is. Yeah. And it also made me think a lot about too, just all the young people that I've worked with over the last decade, where particularly in our media and body image week, when we talk about, you can't judge someone's like health status based on what their body looks like. And literally that being the first time where young people are introduced to the notion of fat body people can have eating disorders, like literally that not even being a part of their consciousness, like only thinking that certain types of people who have certain bodies experience certain things. Or that, I mean, and the corollary to that is that fat people, fat bodied people can be healthy. Yes. Right. Like both Absolutely. are like sort of equally mindless. They can't have an eating disorder and, but they are automatically, you know, about to die of a heart attack. Right. You know, yes. <laughs> it's kind of this duality. Yes. But I think just all of that is just really gross evidence of how much our culture really is fat phobic and also is really good at playing on people's fear of being fat. That's um, the thing. And that's a whole other podcast episode, Justin, right? but I'll leave that there. And so it is really hard to do this work and being like, okay, so how are we able to Im- like empower our young people to be confident in their bodies and to normalize like food and body diversity amidst all of this other stuff that's happening on such a large platform. And so, yes, like Tess Holiday coming out and being able to speak about her eating disorder is amazing and so validating for so many people, like validating even for myself, right? Thinking, oh, I'm not capable of having an eating disorder because I'm five, nine, you know, and I'm an athlete or whatever. And it's like, nope, absolutely. And then there's, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Because at the same time you are that your eyes are like 
so wide open to the hate and the bias and recognizing that young people are seeing that alongside this amazing representation of like vulnerability and acceptance and confidence in the body that she has. Um, And also being really open to about what this journey is looking like for her, especially as someone who is a mom, right. Who has two boys and like, how do you navigate all this stuff with yourself and also trying to model healthy ways of thinking about bodies and food for, for the little people that you're raising as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that circles back to what we see as our role in the work we do. And I think in this podcast too, we're really speaking to parents and caring adults who are interested in knowing how to uplift and empower girls around them. It really is about what is the role we have as adults in our communities on all these different issues. And, And we've talked a lot about You know, a big one, I think, especially with adolescents, is that you kind of, as an adult, have to walk your talk. If you're telling young people to, you know, have certain behaviors or you have expectations of them that you don't aren't willing to fulfill that. I mean, they know and they notice and they feel resentful about it. And quite frankly, I don't blame them because as an adult, I would as well. (laughs) So, you know, sometimes an example I'll give to parents is okay, you want to put a lot of restrictions on things like uh, cell phone use, but then you're on your phone the whole evening and not engaging with your kid. Like maybe shine a little light on that. Think about it. And I think it's similar for this topic. If you are very concerned about your young person's health, if you want your daughter to, you know, not fall into the trap of disordered eating and some of those negative self-beliefs, but you yourself are saying negative things about your body or engaging in really restrictive eating, that disconnects really present for that young person. Oh yeah. I hear about this all of the time. So especially with the cell phone example, right? Like why does my mom say that my phone has to be plugged in at eight o'clock, but she's on her phone till 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, that is an excellent question. Also power dynamics exist. And like, it is not, that's a whole other thing. More often than not, when I am doing particularly our girls groups, I hear all the time about how parents are dieting in the house. And at the same time, we're like, you know, if, if that young person is like, really like, I don't like my body or the clothes that I wear just don't, don't fit right. Or, you know, I just, I don't feel good. And then the parents' response is you're so beautiful or your body is perfect just the way it is. That message is not being shown to them. Right. And so that disconnect that you're talking about. And, and I think honestly, as parents, the way that we walk our talk, like that message is more important than, than anything that we tell our young people, right? Actions speak louder than words type of deal. And one of the things that we can do is work really hard to have conversations about normalizing bodies and food outside of when we're just panicked around when our young person is feeling bad about their bodies or is having things come up around food it can be easy to be like, yeah, I want to talk to my kid about healthy eating and maybe just an encouragement to normalize that nourishing your body is like absolutely necessary. And so eating regularly is important, making sure you have a schedule, especially when you're a student and you know, you have these, you're using your brain a lot and you're really busy and you need to make sure you're getting enough food, um, that you also normalize that food is also for pleasure and for celebration and for family and friend connection And the more that we kind of can have a a real normal, easeful conversation about some of these things, I think that alone would make such a difference. 
Or, you know, so I actually don't use the word healthy, like with my kids and my household at all. Or what I do is I make sure that they know that I have a really expansive definition of what healthy means. That term has really been kind of overtook by our larger culture to mean like dieting and exercise. Exactly. Oftentimes like clean eating or really restrictive eating. When in reality, there are so many other components of health, right? Your mental health, your emotional health, your physical health outside of what your blood pressure is and how much you weigh, but like, do you find joy in your body? Can you move your body in ways that, that make you feel empowered and, and confident in the skin that you're in, but we never talk about those pieces. And so in my household, like I have two boys and I have a girl and I very much see the polarized, like already my daughter's only three and a half, but I I see the ways in which she engages with food and how my boys engage with food. And it is very Mm. different. And so one of the things that we have in art, like we don't own a scale. We don't ever talk about how much we weigh or what our bodies should look like. And, you know, for my family in particular, we are a multi-racial family, a multicultural family. And so, so much of our celebrations and traditions and family gatherings revolve around food. And so I think there are ways that I myself am able to weave in these conversations about food and normalizing it because we consume so much food. As a part of your joy. Hard, Yeah, but it is. It's hard because you, you know, there's no age that you hit where you just automatically accept what you look like. I mean, we as adults are also navigating the pressures of this culture. And so I think there's also a lot of value in being transparent around your journey with that, not in a way where your young person has to take care of you, but just acknowledging like, I feel this pressure too. And it is really hard to try to feel good about yourself when everything on social media and on commercials and on billboards that we drive by on our way home are telling you that you need to lose weight. And so we can use that as an opportunity to build empathy with our young people and like embark on this journey together. But those conversations can be more beneficial and or maybe resonate with that young person a little deeper when we're having them outside of a time of crisis where maybe we're panicking about them I love that food and body anxiety so we also have to make sure that we're doing our work so that we can kind of gear up for those conversations because they're also hard to have and that's kind of a message that we have around a lot of the topics that we engage with our community and with our young people on is like we as adults definitely need to do our own personal work and be and have some self-awareness if we want to be effective and supportive of young people. Being willing to overtly say that bodies change throughout your whole life. And I think about things like, isn't it interesting that right when young people enter puberty, it's a part of natural physical development is weight gain because fat also acts as an energy storing, storing device, right? It is stored energy. And so when young people are in pre-puberty, they often will, not all of them, but a lot of them gain some weight in preparation for all the intense amount of physical development they're about to do. Now, particularly girls, because they're also going to be doing all kinds of, um, you know, preparing for menstruation and pretty significant changes to the body. Boys often growing tall, um, all youth are going through a lot of physical changes, And that's also the time when all of a sudden society starts to get 
very, very interested in what their bodies look like in terms of controlling bodies or often in times of, you know, starting to maybe sexualize girls' bodies. You know, it's a very weird time. Yeah. And so for parents to think about like, one, don't freak out. <laughs> you shouldn't freak out anyway. Um, but to be aware, like these physical changes are really normal. Bodies need that energy in order to do everything they're going to do. And body diversity is a thing. We are not all going to be the same shape and size. Really being okay with that, like not projecting your own worries and expectations of onto your children, but really to say, I accept and love you in all of your ways, including however your body shows up and whatever your body looks like. And then as parents who obviously are concerned with health, I love what you said, bearing in mind that health is a, a kind of a holistic notion. So, you know, is your kid just being chubby actually unhealthy? Generally not. <laughs> it would be more a concern if you saw really intense behavioral changes or signs of depression or isolation, you know, the things we actually should focus on and worry about with our young people in terms of their mental and emotional health. And then just making sure that we're, we're modeling those things for them. So they're learning how to care for themselves as they grow up. But just that piece about like bodies change, that's really normal. Let's, let's be overt about it. And I think we need to hear it as adults sometimes too, because that continues throughout your whole life. Yeah. One of actually my, my favorite things to tell young people is, you know, if we were to all eat and exercise exactly the same, our bodies would still look different because they're supposed to be, but our bodies change over time because they're supposed to like bodies are amazing and so wise and so resilient outside of all of our things. And so they change because that's what bodies do. Right. And I think that's a really radical statement to just say it like that, because there's so much fear of body change, right? We have to acknowledge body changes are hard at any point in time. And I remember in adolescence, like my body was different every single year. It just was something different, right? Even in my adult life now, as somebody who has had multiple babies, like what my body looked like and how it has recovered has looked different and I am still trying to figure it out. And we are on this journey with like, we only get one body and it's not a quick process in unlearning so many of the ways that we're taught to really hate ourselves. I also hear a lot about like health curriculum that kids are taught about BMI and, you know, percentage of of body fat and all of that. And I really struggle with it because so much of the information that I try to give him that is very much so in the same vein that we're talking about right now, oftentimes really contradicts the information that young people are getting from like institutions, right? From like schools or from textbooks or from other. And so I think there's also something that we can do as parents and as adults who work with young people to give them alternate ways of thinking about bodies and food in really helping them to develop and sharpen their critical thinking skills, right? Being able to hold all of the information that they're getting. And I think we also need to work a lot harder too around disconnecting like value and worth as a human being to what your body looks like. All of that. I mean, that's, those are all, I mean, as you've said, any number of those topics would be its own podcast. There, there, yes. there is so much. Absolutely. I really appreciate you bringing in though that acknowledging that both parents and adults and and kids are all also interacting with very complicated and sometimes contradictory messages. We've kind of done our homework 
in terms of dieting is not a healthy behavior. We know this. Yeah. Um, we know the BMI is not an effective measure of your health or fitness. And those institutions sometimes are, are you know, a little further behind or they have, uh, they're getting that information that's either outdated or is supported by industry, which makes money off of us feeling bad. So we know there's a lot going on with that. So we're not expecting adults and guardians and parents to know all of this perfectly and to do it perfectly or to be aware of every aspect of it. But I think that the take-homes for sure are, let's not be promoting dieting. We just know that that's not only ineffective, but it is not a health-promoting behavior. Um, We know that we want to try to model, at the very least, a term that we call body neutrality, which is just accepting bodies as they are. You know, we don't always feel comfortable. We don't always love our bodies, but we can acknowledge the worth of our bodies. And really, I love that you said critical thinking, cultivating critical thinking. That's a big piece of the work that we do. And also just, I think individually, something we both value (laughs) and just being willing to, to keep learning and to keep growing and to realize that all of this is a lifelong journey, as you said, is there any final tip you'd like to add? Pick one, huh? (laughs) It's really maybe not even a tip, but just really wanting to re-emphasize what you were talking about in walking our talk. Our young people constantly have eyes on us. And even during adolescence, when a lot is changing for them and we are adapting to them changing, they still really look to us. And that is a huge responsibility that we have And that also there's healing in that for ourselves, right? Like even when we don't feel great about ourselves, or even if some of our food stuff is triggered, being able to work through that and being able to kind of fake it till you make it for the sake of our young person, there's also healing that can happen within ourselves. And I just like normalize food all the time. Like no good foods and bad foods, no healthy foods, no unhealthy foods, like just food food and talk about it all the time. And also really push back on those moments where you find your young person being critical of somebody else's body or appearance, like really be curious and then also have these conversations with them, right? Talk about body diversity, talk about body change. And I think in doing that, if you are in a moment where you are feeling a little bit in crisis with your young person, you've established enough and have opened a door enough for them to be able to come to you and be able to to seek support and advice from you. That's all gold. And I just, I I echo that in the sense of there's even evidence that shows, and I hope if our, our listeners are listening to nothing else, but this, that despite what adults and parents think, who tend to think that um, adolescents peer group is the biggest influence and that parents start to kind of not matter. It's actually not true that all the evidence is showing that parental guardian influence remains the most important and significant influence on a young person's life, even through teenagerhood. Yes, it's a responsibility. It's also a wonderful kind of reassurance that they still need you and that that relationship is really important. So all of us, you know, even that aren't parents and guardians, but that are the caring adults who connect and and relate with young people, just bearing that in mind is really important. And to also, of course, we always like to throw out there, sometimes we mess up and it's okay own it, apologize or correct yourself. You know, you can say like, yeah, you might've heard me make a kind of a negative statement about myself. And just so you know, this is something I'm continuing to work on. And sometimes I slip up, but I am really working on that self-love and appreciation for my body. Yeah. 
All Transparency right. and honesty get you a long way with young people. They so do. Yeah. They probably almost more than anything else. Yes. Absolutely. So, well, thank you. Again, I feel like we could talk about this forever. Your wisdom, your experience and insights and, and these conversations are one really enjoyable for me. And I hope really um, opening up some good questions and some adding some information to our listeners so they can just keep doing the supportive things they're doing, but maybe get a little help from us too. So thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you for having me again. Love, love having these conversations with you. Thank you for listening today. If you are at all worried that your child might be dealing with an eating disorder or you see concerning behaviors, obviously the first step is to talk with your pediatrician and they can have recommendations about assessing or further treatment. Otherwise, go ahead and check our program notes for some other resources around body acceptance, eating disorders, etc. I'll leave you today with a poem by Rupi Kaur. It was when I stopped searching for home within others and lifted the foundations of home within myself. I found there were no roots more intimate than those between a mind and body that have decided to be whole. Until next time, take care of yourself and remember, empowered girls change the world.